You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and yes, I'm still a little bit under the weather, slash my voice is kind of gone from Saturday's game. Still trying to work that back in, so I apologize for that. But joining me today, and I promise she sounds a lot better, for another mailbag edition of the podcast is my co-host, Charlie. Charlie, you can tell I probably had a pretty good time. Yes, I'm, I don't feel bad, but I'm still kind of getting over a, a cold last week. But you can probably tell I had a pretty good time at the game this weekend by, by virtue of my voice just being gone. How was your cocktail party weekend? It was a good weekend. We got a win, so that's all that counts. Honestly, anytime we come out of Jacksonville with a win, it's a good weekend. And we won big. I mean, like when, yes, we won big. That was very nice. Uh, going on the road anywhere and losing is terrible, but I feel like Jacksonville, if you go there and lose, I feel like it's worse. Do you get that vibe? Is that is that how it works for you? Because for me, like honestly, to make that walk, like the walk of shame back from the stadium towards like civilization... It's just like you get all these crazy drunken Florida fans screaming crazy obscenities, and it's just, it's the worst. Well, they were still screaming last night. It just. Yeah, but when you win and you win like that, you can kind of tune it out a little bit better, maybe? Yeah, well, there were also way more Georgia fans there, so. A ton more Georgia fans. Like in the state, and you noticed that too, right? Yes, I did. I mean, across the way there. Stating the obvious. Well, I mean, I thought you were talking about just the weekend in general. No. I mean, on Friday, usually like in Jacksonville, we stay. I stay in, in Jacksonville, you stay in Jacksonville usually, like in downtown Jacksonville, and usually there's more Florida fans, or like, I don't say always, but it feels like there's more Florida fans there like on Friday night because a lot of George people are down in St. Simons, Amelia, those kind of places that come in Saturday morning. But this weekend, from like the second I got there to the second we left, I got the feeling that there were significantly more Georgia fans than there were Florida fans. And the stadium, kind of a microcosm of that, you look across the way there at kickoff, and I mean, it certainly wasn't full. What would you put their capacity at over there if you had to guess? I'd say like... Oh, I don't know. But there was red mixed in with it. There was red mixed in and there were a lot of empty seats, more than you're accustomed to seeing. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, so there was a lot more Georgia fans. So it was a great weekend. We keep the undefeated season alive for now. We clinched the SEC East. Now we had a little bit of help from Kentucky. Losing to Mississippi State in Starkville Saturday night. But regardless, we did what we had to do. The undefeated season is still going strong. Got a long way to go. Got a couple more weeks. But right now, we are in very good position. Did you stay for the whole game? Uh, about halfway through the fourth quarter. Halfway through the fourth? 
Yeah. You jetted out? Yeah. You didn't stay to celebrate with Kirby on the field? No. Did you see him going crazy again after the game? I saw a video, yeah. I love the celebrations. I do. Yeah. I know. I know he seems kind of childish, I guess. I heard somebody say that. He's he like, grow up. I'm like, what? Like, just beat our rival. Beat Dan Mullen. It's a huge win for us. So that's not, I love that stuff. But, all right, Charlie. I know we got a ton of questions to get to. First, though, I do want to remind everyone about our friends at Alumni Hall, the go-to place for all your Georgia gear and accessory needs. I know everybody out there has their own preferences as to what brand they prefer. But it doesn't matter. Alumni Hall has whatever you guys want. They have all the big brands. They've got Nike, Nike Golf, Columbia, Cutter and Buck, Johnny Yo. They've got Peter Millar. Anything and everything that you want, they've got you covered. So if you're coming in town this weekend for the Missouri game, make sure to stop by Alumni Hall on the Epps Bridge Shopping Center. If you're coming up through 316, it's right there before you get into town and uh, get all the Georgia gear and accessories that you need, not just for yourself, but also for any loved ones you have, the holiday seasons are coming up. Now is the time. Go ahead and get what you need before those items are gone. When Black Friday gets here, that stuff will be gone quickly, guys. Trust me on that. So get ahead of the game. Stop in this weekend and get stocked up. Again, that's inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens or on alumnihall.com. But all right, Charlie, we've got a lot of questions to get to today. What do our wonderful listeners have for us? All right, well, outside of the defense, questions surrounding the quarterback position have been the theme of the 2021 season. And with JT Daniels now cleared and once again practicing, but still Stetson Bennett is getting the start against Florida last week. This week's mailbag is no different. So our first several questions will start there before we branch out to other topics. So our first question comes from Guy. He says, maybe it's only him, but he's done with Stetson. He had two picks. Can we beat elite teams with Stetson? Alexander also said he was 10 of 19 with one touchdown and two bad interceptions. So do you think performances like that from our quarterback can win us a championship. Can we beat elite teams with Stetson Bennett? Yes, I do believe the answer to that question is yes, because our defense is just that good. You gotta remember guys, if teams don't score, they can't win. Now, yes, I do understand that when we play better teams, more explosive offenses down the stretch, that they will probably put up some points. Now, do I think we're gonna get into some sort of shootout where it's, you know, 45 to 42. I do not think there's a team in the country right now that's going to put that kind of yardage and those kind of points on this defense. There are teams that can score 20 to to 25 points, something like that. I think that's certainly within the realm of possibility, and that's probably likely at some point when you play the Alabamas of the world, potentially the Ohio States of the world, maybe even the Oklahomas of the world. But based on everything that we've seen to this point, I have seen no evidence to suggest that any team in the country out there, I don't care who you are, is going to go out there and drop 40 to 50 points on those defense to where our offense is going to have to keep up with that pace. I just don't think that's going to happen. So offensively, if we can continue to score in the 30 to 40 point range, which is kind of where we've been since Stetson has taken over as quarterback, I think, yeah, we can still win a national title and can still beat those elite teams that we're probably going to be facing down the stretch here. Now, saying that, do I think that Stetson Bennett gives us the best chance to beat those elite teams, the best chance to put up the kind of points that we're probably going to be able to put up at some point? No, I do not think he gives us the best chance. I think a healthy JT Daniels gives us the best chance based off what we've seen going back to even last year. And I think the biggest evidence of that is how we've essentially seen our offense 
changed before our very eyes since Stetson has taken over. It's been a transformation. I know it was a small sample size at the beginning of the year with JT Daniels, and I don't even know if we ever saw a truly healthy JT Daniels. I think he had that oblique issue coming into the Clemson game. I don't, I don't have that on any sort of authority. I don't have anyone that's told me that. That's just my speculation on this, but it just seems to make sense. If you go back to that game, it just kind of makes sense. And then the very next week, he's got, he's got an issue where he can't play. I think he had an issue coming into the season. So I, I don't know if we've seen a fully healthy JT at any point this year, but even that version of JT, our offense was different. We've seen a transformation. You go back to the Clemson game. JT threw the ball 30 times against Clemson. He threw the ball 31 times in the third game against South Carolina in the game that he started. Now, we didn't know if he was going to start that game. He wasn't fully healthy. But even though he wasn't fully healthy, he still threw the ball 31 times and only three quarters of play. He played three quarters in that game. Then we basically tried to run out the clock in the fourth quarter with Stetson Bennett. Then against Vandy in week four, I want to say it was week four, right? He comes out and throws the ball 10 times in the first quarter. He didn't play any after that, but if you extrapolate that out, if you go for a full game, and obviously Vandy was never going to be in it for a full game, but that's 40 times over the course of a full game. But regardless, he still threw the ball 10 times in that one quarter of play against Vanderbilt. Now, we haven't seen JT since that point. Stetson, on the other hand, since he's taken over as our starting quarterback, he has not thrown the ball more than 21 times in any game this season. Even going back to the UAB game, he has not thrown the ball more than 21 times in a single game. If you look at the splits here with JT, we were 57% run. Now, yes, I know that's a small sample size, but 57% run with JT as our quarterback versus 70% run with Stetson Bennett as our quarterback over the last four games. I'm not even throwing in the UAB game. I'm just going the last four games with, with Stetson. We have been 70% run. Now, the big question becomes, why is that the case? Why have we seen that kind of transformation in the run pass splits with this offense since Stetson has taken over. Is that because of injuries at other positions? I do think that's probably a factor here. We've talked about it several times on this show. The fact is, those skill players that we had to work with at the beginning of the year, most of those guys have been out for the better part of the past month. Arian Smith, he was back for a couple of snaps last week against Florida, but that was his first action since week two against UAB. Jermaine Burton has been out since the Arkansas game. Same thing for Kenny McIntosh. Uh, Marcus Rosemary Jack Saints been out for, for extended time as well. Kyrus Jackson looks like he's finally now starting to work himself back into his old form. Looking like he's getting healthy and confident in that knee. Still haven't seen Dominic Blaylock all year. So I think that's certainly part of it. Do we just What do we have healthy? What do we have at our disposal? We have the running backs. And Stetson Bennett also gives us more in the run game in terms of his ability to run the football as well, which isn't just about what he can pick up on his own with his legs. It's also about what the threat of his legs does for the rest of the running, what it opens up for the other running backs involved in the equation. So is it really about that? Is it about Stetson's ability to use his legs, which does help make our overall run game more effective? Or, or is it because coaches don't think Stetson has the ability to do what JT was doing and beat teams consistently with his arm. Has that been the impetus for this change that we have seen, this transformation we have seen with our offense over the last month of the season? And I know that's what a lot of people think. I and mean, most of you listening out there saying, yeah, Tyler, it's that one. That's why we've seen this change. And you might be right. You might very well be right. I think it's probably a little bit of all of those things, to be honest with you. But you would be naive. I would be naive to sit here and say, it's not at all because 
our coaches don't think that Stetson has the skills that the JT has and the capacity to be able to win with the passing game the way that we can with JT. I would be naive to sit here and say that's not a factor in this at all. I certainly do think it's a factor in it. I just don't think it's the only factor in this equation. But going back to, to Guy's question here, it's a great question. It's a question we got asked about six different times from people uh, this weekend. But we went with Guy's question because it was the first one that I saw. Can we beat elite teams with Stetson Bennett? Yeah, I think that we can. We haven't beaten an elite team yet because we haven't really played an elite team to this point, but I do think that we can based on the strength of our defense. But again, I'll throw in the caveat, I just don't think that Stetson Bennett gives us the best chance to beat those teams down the road. Next up, Jonathan has a Stetson versus JT question. He says, Stetson has the deep balls outside the line are lacking. There are a few boneheaded throws each game. He's able to escape, which has improved the run game. Whereas JT has a better deep ball across the board, he's more decisive, has fewer bad throws, and protects the ball better, but he has not impacted the run game as much, and his capability is lacking. So which skill set would you prefer? Well, ideally, you want a cross between both those guys. Now, that's being a little greedy here, but like, can you give me like Trevor Lawrence, a guy that can absolutely make plays with his legs? You can actually call some design quarterback runs for him. He also has escapability in the pocket, and he also can just absolutely carve you up with his arm. Can you give me a guy like that? That's the that's the prototype. That's the ideal. Now, we don't currently have that. We have one guy in JT Daniels that has more of a capacity to beat you with his arm, but he's at best, functionally mobile, right? And then you have Setson Bennett, who's a guy that absolutely can make some plays with his legs. And there were some things against Florida that JT simply could not do, some plays where he made an impact with his legs. And I know people want to discount that, but that is that is something that is helping this offense in a lot of ways. So he can do those things and he can hit some plays off play action, but in terms of just sitting back there and dropping back and carving teams up with his arms, Stetson has never really shown the ability, even going back to last year, never really shown the ability to be able to do that on any sort of consistent basis. Stetson operates really well when we're on schedule when we're ahead of the chains, but we get to third and long and everybody knows we're passing. It's one of those obvious passing downs. It can be hit or miss with him. And that's when he can try to throw some balls in some tight windows and make some of those gunslinger mistakes that can hurt us. So obviously we don't really have the total package there. We have one guy with one skill set and one guy with the other skill set, as Jonathan very well pointed out. But if I had to pick one, and I had to say, okay, if I'm Kirby Smart, I'm saying, all right, I got to go with the guy that can that is more equipped to beat teams with his arm or the guy that can do more with his legs. I think in this day and age, although I put a, I do, I really put a premium on guys that can that can do things with legs, that can extend plays, that can create, that can that can hurt you in the actual design quarterback run game. I put a premium on that. I want guys like that. But in this day and age in college football, really football at any level, I think you have to be able to throw to win in order to win at the highest level. Now, again, the ideal is a guy like Trevor Lawrence that can do can do both things, right? Because I think you have to be two-dimensional. And I, I understand and I realize, I recognize, I will allow that our run game is not as effective with JT in the game because we cannot occupy backside defensive ends, frontside defensive ends with bash plays with, with the run game. We simply cannot do that. You have guys crashing down the line of scrimmage, and it does make our run game at least a little bit less effective. You go back to early in the season, remember one of the, the complaints I had or one of the concerns I had was that I didn't think that we were running the ball as effectively as we needed to. And that really started to change, honestly, once Stetson took over. And that's not by accident. It's because what Stetson gives us with his ability to run the football, that puts stress on defenses 
in a way that opens things up for like the traditional ground game. There's just no coincidence there. We have the same offensive line. We have the same running backs, but we're running the ball more efficiently, more effectively right now because defenses have to account for Stetson's ability to run the football and pull it at any given time. Now, he doesn't do it a lot. We don't do a ton of design quarterback stuff with him, design quarterback run stuff with him, but we do enough of it to make defenses have to prepare for and have to account for. We make them hesitate when they're trying to diagnose what's going on ever so slightly, just enough to create just a bit more room for our running backs to cut through. And sometimes that makes all the difference in the world. So that has been very helpful for us. But again, I go back to it. I think you've got to be more two-dimensional in your ability to win with the pass and with the run game. No, our run game is not as dynamic and as effective with JT. But I think you make up for that with what he's able to do, his ability to push the ball down the field on a more consistent basis. I just think a guy that can throw the ball but not really run it, it's not really a threat to run it with his legs, I just think that guy can do more to help your offense than a guy that can run it but can't throw it all. Now, Stetson can throw it, okay? I'm not saying Stetson can't throw it at all, but if I had to pick between the two extremes, I'm going to go with a guy that can beat you with his arm. All right, next up, Josh says is or asks, is JT hurt more than we know? Uh, we keep hearing that he's really close, but he hasn't been in the lineup since the UAB game, and he doesn't think we can win it all without JT Daniels. Josh, this is why you are the man, dude. This is why, right? You just hit the nail on the head. And this is where my mind is. Now, you guys might disagree with me. That's totally fine. But I've talked to a few people, and I've essentially been told that JT's just not ready. Yes, he's cleared. Yes, he's practicing. Yes, he's doing a lot more than what he was doing when he was injured at practice. But he's just not there yet. And I know people don't want to hear that because they went through this literally all last year. The idea that JT was cleared, but still couldn't play and still wasn't ready to play. And I know that drove people crazy because it drove me freaking crazy. It drove me insane because once JT was able to actually make this start, then it's like, oh, wow. So this is the guy that we had all year and uh, we just couldn't get him in the lineup. Now, I do think last year was frustrating that it's like, oh, yeah, just right after we get beat by Florida, he's just magically ready to play. That was a little frustrating. I feel like he probably could have played against Florida and probably could have made a difference in that game. But I have been told that JT is just not ready. He's just not there yet. He's getting closer. He's getting to the point where he's getting more and more confidence in those injuries and we're getting more and more confidence in him being ready to play. But you got to remember, guys, he missed the better part of a month of practice. And there is a rust factor there. And there's also the factor of him getting confidence in those injuries. It's one thing to throw at practice in that controlled environment. It's a totally different thing to go out there and do it in a live setting. That's just very, very different in an in-game setting. So I know it's frustrating and I know that you just want to bash Kirby. I understand it because it's been a narrative. It's been a thing for the better part of like what the last four seasons, Kirby in the quarterback situation, right? And how he's mishandling the quarterbacks. I understand that a lot of you have this kind of built up frustration about it and you're understandably so pretty much conditioned to just rip Kirby when there are quarterback issues because of how things have gone in the past, whether it's Jake Fromm and Jacob Eason, whether it's Jake Fromm and Justin Fields, whether it's what went down last year and obviously what's happening right now. I understand where you're coming from. But I would also just caution you to not just assume that JT is ready to be the version of JT that you expect him to be. And I know that sometimes you guys get frustrated with me because you think I'm defending Kirby too much. And maybe that's the case. That's fine. Uh, I, I can take those shots. That's cool. But my perspective simply is the coaching staff has far more information to operate off of than we do. 
we think we know, but we don't really know. And look, I don't really know. I'm just telling you guys what I've heard and what I've seen in the past, what I've known from, from those, some of those past situations in, in previous years. The coaching staff, I'm not saying they're infallible. I'm not saying they are above reproach. They're not. They make mistakes. That's absolutely the case. However, when it comes to situations like this, I just would caution you again, they have more information to operate off of than we do. Now, do I think Kirby's messaging is off sometimes? Do I think he does himself a disservice with how he handles this in the media and some of the comments that he makes? Like even going back to the beginning of this year, like, hey, coach, is Carson Beck the backup quarterback? Is he your number two guy? Yeah, Carson Beck's your number two guy. And then you come out against UAB and, oh no, it's Stetson Bennett. And look, I think that was the right choice. Clearly at this point, that was the right decision. But again, he did not do himself any favors with the messaging. Why even say that Carson Beck is the number two? Are you saying that because you're trying to deceive UAB? Is gamesmanship against the Blazers? Is that really what that was about? I, those kind of things, that's the stuff that's hard to defend. Now, the decision right now to continue to play Stetson Bennett, I will say, based off what I've been told and based on just what you know in this situation, I don't think that JT is ready, okay? I've essentially been told that. He's just not ready yet. I do think, now this is where Curtis and I disagree. Curtis thinks, and I know a lot of you think that Kirby is playing favorites here. That he just, you know, he likes Stetson Bennett, just like he liked Jake Fromm. That's why he played him over Justin Fields. And I just fundamentally disagree with that. Kirby Smart wants to win a national title for Georgia more than anyone on earth. As much as I want to win, and guys, trust me, I want it more than anything. And as much as you guys want to win, and I know you want it about just as much as anything, Kirby wants it more. I just simply do not believe Kirby Smart is willfully going to play a guy that he thinks gives us less of a chance to win. That just ain't happening. Now, you can disagree with him and say, well, the choice he's making is wrong. That's fine. But to say that he's playing favorites, and I've heard people talk about how oh, he's just playing his boy from South Georgia. That I cannot disagree with that more. I simply cannot disagree with that more. And if you feel that way, that's okay. You can have that opinion. I just can't disagree with you more there. Kirby Smart's not going to play someone just because that's his boy. I just, I don't see that happening. I think the reality is JT got hurt, JT hasn't been healthy, and even if he is 100% healthy right now, he hasn't practiced for a better part of a month. So I understand like the idea like, well, he was your starting quarterback before he got hurt, he was, now he should be your starting quarterback once he's healthy. But he hasn't practiced in a while, there's going to be a rust factor there. I understand why Stetson was the choice against Florida. Now Stetson didn't play well, Stetson had his worst game by far, worst game of the season by far, probably his worst game since the Alabama game last year, but I do understand that decision. Now Saying all this, if at some point I get word that JT is 100%, he's ready to go, and we're still playing sets of it, I will have an issue with that because I am with you guys. As I said earlier, I do think JT Daniels gives us a better chance to beat elite teams, a better chance to win a championship. I do think that we can win one with Stetson, but I think our margin for error is reduced pretty significantly with Stetson as our quarterback. But again, back to what Josh was saying, I think Josh is nailing it here. I just don't think, and again, I've essentially been told that JT's just not ready. He's just not all the way back yet. And I do believe once JT gets back, and I could be wrong here, I'm putting my faith in Kirby with this, and I could very well be proven wrong. But I do think as soon as JT is really, truly ready, and whatever that means, I don't know. Again, I don't have this information to, op- to operate off of. The coaching staff does. But when the coaching staff feels JT's ready, when JT feels he's ready, then I think Kirby will make the move. Curtis does not. Curtis disagrees with me. Curtis does not think Kirby is willing to make that move at this point. I disagree. Curtis could be proven correct. I don't know. We'll see. But I think Kirby understands that JT gives us a better chance to win and beat some of those teams down the stretch. And as soon as JT's ready, I do believe that he will make that change. 
All right, Trey wants to know, why are fans making themselves miserable over quarterbacks? Why do fans think they know better? If we have such little faith in our coaches, shouldn't we get better ones? Trey, I love it, man. I love your consistently sardonic and tongue-in-cheek questions week after week. It never fails. I appreciate it, man. Um, And this is essentially what I was just talking about. I do understand the frustration, guys. I really, really do. I can't sit here and say I'm not frustrated, but I'm frustrated just with the situation that we find ourselves in, that this is happening to us right now. It's not so much frustration with the coaching staff because I don't think the coaching staff is willfully playing Stetson over JT right now. Again, I can be proven wrong there, but that's just where I am. That's where my mind is right now. But I'm frustrated because JT did get hurt. Why did that have to happen? I don't know, man. It's just the way things go for us. But at this point, we are where we are, and we've got to roll with Stetson until JT can get to that point where he's ready to come in and take the job back over. And I know some of you don't buy that JT still hurt. When he, when the coaches say he's cleared, he's practicing, in your mind, that just means, all right, he's ready to take the job back. I just happen to not necessarily think that's the case. I think there's a difference between being cleared and being ready. And JT, I just don't think is ready right now. And the coaches understand that. They have the information that we don't have. And again, as I said earlier, I, I do think that there is a, a pretty sizable contingent in the fan base that based off Kirby's past history with the quarterbacks, are just ready to bash him at a moment's notice when it comes to any sort of, I don't even say controversy, but any sort of like question regarding what's going on with the quarterback position. If he does anything that they don't really agree with when it comes to quarterbacks, it's just let's bash Kirby time. And 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 maybe that's justified, maybe it's not. People can do what they want. I, again, would just caution and say that we just don't have all the information. But that's just me. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Emery Day- Dave wants you to explain what happened with number five on defense when he went to the sideline. I believe that was Keeley. Yeah, it was Keeley. Um, and even though the quarterback was huge, are we okay with tackling? I'll let you explain that situation. Kirby well, addressed it in his press conference. Yeah, he bit. did. What was your original take on that when you saw him pull Keeley out in that last drive? I thought he was mad because Keeley had the wrong coverage to play. Because he was bailing like, at the snap. And I know, Kirby, you're right, Charlie. He did address at his press conference, and he tried to say that it wasn't that Keeley was playing the wrong coverage. He did what he was supposed to. 
he was upset with Keeley because of how he handled the situation and how he responded to a teammate who was wrong in the coverage. And it wasn't Keeley himself who was wrong. I just don't know if I agree with that. I feel like Kirby might actually just be trying to protect Keeley there as a young player for a couple reasons. Number one, if you go back and watch, I went back and rewatched this like 20 times to make sure I was seeing what I was seeing. First off, as Charlie said, like you see him kind of bailing there. He he bails the snap. He's It looks like he's bailing to the deep quarter. It happened twice on the same drive in a very similar fashion. And both times, he looks directly to the sideline after the play because we gave up big plays on both of them because there's a wide open receiver sitting there in the flag because there's no one there. And it seems like the coaching staff says something to Keeley after each of those plays and he is, he looks frustrated and he's kind of gesticulating. He's like he's saying something to the coaches on the sideline. At no point on either of those snaps did I see him say anything to any other player on the field. Now, he could have, you know, you can only see so much. Maybe he said something and he just wasn't looking at him. Certainly possible. But I didn't see him say anything to Latavius Breeny, who it looked like if there was somebody who might have had some miscommunication with the coverage, it was Breeny. But I, I honestly think it was Keely Ringo who was wrong in those situations. Because Kirby on both plays went right to him on the sideline and was clearly upset, was clearly frustrated. And it was when that second time, it was when Keely looked like he responded negatively towards Kirby when Kirby was trying to correct him and critique him. And then Kirby kind of dragged him, grabbed him, and pulled him off on the sideline. That's what it looked like to me. Now, again, I do not have all the information to operate off of. The coaches know our coverage is clearly, obviously, far better than I do. But it looked like to me that Keeley thought we were playing a coverage that, that we call mod, which is basically, it's like a, it's a form of quarters coverage where that cornerback is playing man-to-man on the number one receiver unless that receiver breaks and cuts off his route at five yards or less. And in that case, what the cornerback is responsible for in mod coverage is dropping, bailing to that deep quarter zone coverage. Because what we're looking for in that situation is a smash route. That's like when the receiver breaks, that number one receiver breaks at five yards. One of the most common route concepts that you're looking for there is a smash route. A smash route, if you're not familiar with that term, what it is, is where you have one receiver who's going to be breaking in the flats, like a quick little hitch like that, or can just be a guy running to the flats, but you got a guy occupying the flats, and then you basically run a corner route behind that. That's a smash route. So if we're playing mod coverage, one of the rules for the cornerback in mod coverage is if that number one receiver who you have in man coverage, if he does anything other than break at five yards, but when he breaks at five yards, you're automatically thinking smash, smash, smash. And the rule is you're dropping back to that deep quarter looking for that corner route. And on both of those plays on that final Florida drive, it looked like Keeley thought we were in mod. That's my observation there. That's Certainly my amateur observation, again, I do not know our coverages as intimately as our coaching staff and players do, but that's, to me, what it looked like was going on there. When in reality, maybe we were in like just straight quarters or we were playing four-man, like whatever it might have been there, I think Keeley was wrong. I could be wrong there, but I think that's what went on based off what I've seen going back and again, rewatching that play like 20 different times, trying to figure out exactly what was going on. And as for the tackling question, yeah, honestly, I thought we did a really, really good job of tackling against Florida on Saturday, whether it was Emory Jones, whether it was Anthony Richardson, whether it was the running backs. I thought we did a great job getting those guys on the ground, and we did not do a good job of that last year. Obviously, we all remember the wheel routes and the pick plays, the rub routes, all that stuff. We have those kind of seared into our memories from last year. 
But we also tackled very poorly last year and gave them a lot of big plays that didn't need to be, be big plays. And this year, I thought we did a much better job. I'm not saying that we didn't miss any tackles, but at the top of my head, I've gone back and rewatched it twice now. I don't remember any like glaring missed tackles. So against a team that is really, I mean, as good as anyone in the country run the football all year long, I mean, top five nationally, as good as any non-option team in the country run the football, I thought we did a really good job of getting those guys on the ground. Okay, with the first college football playoff rankings set to be released on Tuesday, the next questions are about those rankings and potential matchups. So first up, Nathan asks, if you were the college football playoff committee, who would be the top four teams on your list? Who would be your top four teams, Charlie? Georgia. I know who would not be in your list. Cincinnati. No, they would not be. Um, Ohio State. Ohio State at two? No, some, I'm no, just, no order. Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama. Okay. Oklahoma, only because they haven't lost. I'm waiting for them to lose. They'll probably get in because they just find a way to win, even though they should have lost a few they games. They have a bye week coming up this week. They have a brutal end of the season. Like all their toughest games, you got Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma State, three games in a row in the season. If they lose one of those games, they're out, right? Yeah, because they have like I think we can afford to lose a game and still have a chance again. It depends on what else happens. Other teams around the country, none of this happens in a vacuum. But we've been dominant throughout the regular season. Oklahoma has not. They've been skating by pretty much on a weekly basis. I guess last week they had they had a nice win against Texas Tech. But for the vast majority of the season, they've been skating by. So they lost to any one of those teams. I think potentially could knock them out. Of course, depending upon what happens the rest of the way even if they do ultimately end up winning the Big 12 title game. So you would go Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma are your four right now. And sure. no particular order. Sure. Okay. I always have trouble predicting what the playoff committee is going to do because oftentimes there seems to be no rhyme or reason. They're very inconsistent in their application of the criteria. So it's just tough to project here. I do feel very confident in saying that our Georgia Bulldogs will be number one in this initial ranking. I hope it stays that way. I do think that we will be number one. feel very confident in saying that. Number two, this is an interesting one. You've got a couple undefeated teams here. Yes, Charlie, you're right. Oklahoma's in there undefeated. But there's another team that's also sitting there undefeated in the Power Five. That's Michigan State. Now, they haven't been especially impressive all year. They're not beating teams senseless. But they're undefeated, and they just beat Michigan, who was a top-10 team coming into last week in the biggest game of the week last week. They also have a pretty nice win on the road at Miami. I know it looked like for a minute there when De'Aaron King went out for the year that Miami was just going to fall off the face of the earth. They've kind of rebounded pretty nicely. They just beat NC State and Pitt in back-to-back weeks. Those are two really good wins. That's making that win look even better on the road for Michigan State. And honestly, that win over Michigan, even though it was at home, still a win over an undefeated Michigan team, a top 10 Michigan team. That's a better win than anything Oklahoma has right now. And Oklahoma is, is kind of like Michigan State in that they skated by against inferior competition, against teams that they should be beating more handily, and they haven't done it. They have not been dominant for the most part this year with, with a few exceptions. They were really good against Texas Tech, beat them senseless, beat TCU pretty bad a couple weeks ago. But outside that, even against a team like Tulane that's won one game, let's go back to week one, they almost lost. Like Tulane had a chance to beat Oklahoma in week one. They didn't do it, but they had a shot there. So my projection right now is I think that Michigan State is going to be number two. I don't think Michigan State is the second best team in the country. I do not at all. I think Michigan State will probably end up with multiple losses. They still have to play Penn State. They still have to play Ohio State. I think they'll lose 
at least once, maybe twice before this season's all said and done. They're a good team. They're just not a dominant elite team right now. There's some holes in that team, especially in the passing game. But the committee, they'll tell you, they try not to project forward down the road. They try to look at where you are right now. And based off the resume right now, I think Michigan State will probably be number two. And I'm okay with that based on the resume. I just don't think that they're are actually the second best team in the country. But I think they'll be number two. Number three is an interesting spot for me because Alabama, as you mentioned, Charlie, they're, I think they're certainly in the mix here. They're sitting there with one loss. That one loss was a, was a good loss, if any losses can be good, at Texas A&M. And then you have Ohio State, who's also a one-loss team, who's, who lost to Oregon at home early in the season. But they've just, since that point, they've just been on a roll and just been killing people with the exception of, I guess, Penn State last week. They look somewhat human against Penn State. And then you have Oklahoma, who is actually undefeated. They don't have that loss, but they have not looked dominant at any point this season. Whereas Alabama and Ohio State, outside their each, each of their one losses, they have looked dominant almost every other week against uh, like good-ish competition. Alabama has a pretty nice win at home against Ole Miss. Ohio State has a pretty good win last week at home against Penn State. Oh, that's a Penn State team that did lose to Illinois at home, which is just, God, I still can't understand how that actually happened. And then there's Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati, who plays a group of five schedule, although they did beat Notre Dame, which is looking like a pretty good win right now. I don't think Notre Dame's all that good, but they just aren't losing. They just won't lose. So right now, that win against a one-loss Notre Dame team, essentially a top 10 Notre Dame team, in South Bend. That's a really nice feather in the cap for Cincinnati. I just don't know if that's enough to overcome the rest of their schedule. Yeah, I know they also played Indiana, another Power 5 team. Indiana is terrible. And they also kind of struggled in that game. Let's also not forget Cincinnati. The, the past couple weeks, they've been winning, but they have really been just kind of skating by. Against Navy, they won by a touchdown. They were like 28-point favorites. Actually, it might be like 30-plus point favorites when when the line closed. And they, they barely got out of that game with a win. And it was very close against a one-win two-lane team last week at the half. Now, they ended up pulling away, and they won, like I think, 31-12. to 12. But that's, I mean, how impressive is that against a, a, a two-lane team that's just not very good this year? So three and four, I think, can go a number of different ways. Knowing the committee, though, they typically, they just don't like to jump, like Power 5, they don't want a Power 5 team that's undefeated to be behind a Power 5 team that has lost, especially a Power 5 team, which historically they have had a lot of respect for, which is Oklahoma. So I think Oklahoma will probably be number three. Now, do I think Oklahoma is the third best team in the country? I do not, but that's not where they are right now. They're just ranking these teams where they are right now. So I think Oklahoma will be number three. Number four, this one, man, this is really interesting here because I think Ohio State, I think Alabama, I think Cincinnati all can make an argument for that spot. I think the committee is going to put Alabama in that four spot. I don't think Cincinnati is going to sneak in. They have that one really nice win against Notre Dame. I'll give them that. But outside of that, I mean, they have a group of five schedule and they haven't really been dominant lately against that group of five schedule. And those are some games early in the year they were they were beating those teams pretty significantly. But lately it hasn't been that way. And I do think the committee can sometimes be prisoners of the moment. Ohio State, I think they've been really dominant outside of that loss to Oregon. And kind of, you're, you're kind of splitting hairs between Alabama and Ohio State. However, I guess you got Alabama's loss was on the road against AM, whereas Ohio State lost at home. I know Oregon's a good team. They've only lost one game. I guess Oregon should be in that conversation as well because they probably had the best win of all those teams. Winning at Ohio State, that's a really good win. So I wouldn't be shocked if Oregon sneaks in at number four as well. I just, you know, if you look at the rest of their schedule, yeah, it's a great win against Ohio State, but the Pac-12 is just garbage right now. And that loss to Stanford is just a bad loss. Stanford's a three-win team. Stanford's not going to go bowling this year again. 
So I, I don't know how they'll handle that. They do have the best win. So what is it about for the community? Is it about how good is your is your win? Because Oregon has a better win, but their loss is certainly the worst of those three one-loss teams I'm grouping here. you got Oregon, Alabama, and Ohio State. So I think I'm going to go with Alabama at number four. If you put a gun to my head and say, hey, predict who they're going to have at number four, I think it's going to be Alabama, but I am not confident in that at all. It could certainly be Ohio State. It could be Oregon. It could even be Cincinnati. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Philip says, again, with the college football rankings coming out on Tuesday, which team would you least want to be matched up with in the first round, and which team would you most want to be matched up with? Or would you prefer to be matched up with? Excuse me. Is there a team out there, Charlie, that when you watch them play, you're like, man, that team could really give us trouble? Ohio State? I know that pains you to say because you hate Ohio State. I do. I don't like them at all. Yeah, Ohio State, that's 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 one right now, the way they're playing. Although they didn't dominate Penn State as much as I maybe thought they would in that game, but the way they're playing and how they can score offensively, that's a team that certainly gives me some concern. And they can absolutely light you up through the air. They have almost certainly the best receiving core in the country with Chris Olave, Wilson, Smith, and Jigba. They have three really good receivers, and C.J. Stroud's getting better week after week after week. And what have we said all along? If there's a way to challenge this defense, if there's any potential deficiency that can be exploited, it's the secondary. It's certainly not the front seven right now. It's secondary. And I don't think that we're weak in the secondary, but if there's a spot where we might be vulnerable to some team kind of exploiting any sort of deficiency, I think it probably is the secondary. And Ohio State, I think, is best equipped. And yeah, I'm even including Alabama in that. I think Ohio State is better equipped to beat us through the air and give us problems through the air than even Alabama is. So if there's a team that I would least want to face, it'd probably be Ohio State because I just don't love the matchup as much as I like with the other teams. Team that I would most want to face that could potentially be in the top four, either Michigan State or Cincinnati. I think if we played Michigan State this week, we'd beat them by three touchdowns. They're just too one-dimensional. And what they do really well, running the football, as good as Kenneth Walker is, that plays exactly into our hands. And I think we would suffocate them. I think we would smother their offense. And their defense is good enough. It's It's been solid. But they certainly have not been a lead on the defense side of the ball. I think we could score plenty of points in them. I think we'd beat Michigan State by three-plus touchdowns. And how crazy would that be, guys? If we're number one and Michigan State's number two in this initial rankings, and I think that we're that much better than Michigan State, that tells you how good we are right now. And Cincinnati, I know we played them last year. It was a close game. It was a very different Georgia team. It was a different Georgia defense. We're healthy. We're different. We're just in a different place right now. And Cincinnati is good. I'm not one of those guys that just disrespects Cincinnati and just dismisses them out of hand because they play in a group of five. They are a good football team, but they are certainly not a dominant football team. They're good defensively. They're very good on defense. 
but they are no better offensively than we are. And we are quite a bit better on defense than they are. They're not explosive. We haven't been crazily explosive, but we've been more explosive since Cincinnati has on offense. They don't do anything particularly well on offense. They don't run the ball all that well. Ford's a pretty good back, but he's not elite. Ritter gives them a little bit in the run game, but their passing game, it's no more dynamic than what we have right now. And, and that's when they're fully healthy and we've been like a mash unit on offense. Our ceiling is far higher once we get everybody healthy on offense. Now, will that ever happen this year? I'm not holding my breath, man. <laughs> At this point, I'm not holding my breath. But if it does happen, I mean, our ceiling is far higher than Cincinnati's ceiling offensively. And if we happen to play them again this year, I don't think it would come down to a lasting field goal. I think just like Michigan State, we'd beat Cincinnati by multiple touchdowns. Okay, Cole wants your opinion on what is the trickiest game left on our regular season schedule? I would say Tennessee. I think Tennessee is the obvious choice, right? I mean, it's yeah. on the road. Missouri, I mean, Baselec's fine, but they are like basically the worst rushing, te- rushing defense in the country. It's at home. It, it can't be Tech, right? Like, we can't sit no. here. No self-respect to Georgia no, Fan can sit here and all. say Tech. I know that, that'll be their Super Bowl, but we can't sit here and say Tech. So, I think Tennessee on the road, and, that, and when we're recording this right now, we don't know exactly what time that'll be. That'll be tomorrow. We'll find out. There's a chance it could be at night. Um, that'll be very cold tonight, but also be a crazy environment at night. Which is, I mean, we're still better than Tennessee, but you guys, if you watched the old Miss-Tennessee game a couple weeks ago, I mean, I gotta give Tennessee credit. Their fan base is crazy. Um, it kind of got out of hand there, but that was a raucous environment. And that's certainly not something that I want to walk into if we can avoid that. Hopefully that game might end up being at 3.30. We'll see how that plays out. But I think, yeah, Charlie, you're, you nailed it there. I think Tennessee's going to be the obvious answer here. Okay, Gary wants to know who wins if we matched up the 2017 Georgia team with the current team. That's a great question. And I especially like this question because I've been talking for a couple of weeks how I think our offense is evolving into the 2017 offense. That's that's what I see right now. We, we are looking more and more like that offense, at least structurally in what we're trying to accomplish philosophically with each passing game. Now, from a roster standpoint, it's no contest. Our roster in 2021 is head and shoulders above far more talented than our 185-man roster was in 2017. I told you guys back in 2017 when we lost that national title game that this hurts, it sucks, but every Georgia football team from this point on will be more talented under Kirby Smart than that 2017 team. And I think that's been the case that's played out since that point. I think it will continue to play out because we were still in the process of building out that roster. Defensively, it's no contest. I mean, guys like Malcolm Parrish, Dom Sanders, Aaron Davis, I mean, those guys would not be playing for us right now. Reggie Carter would not see the field. They just wouldn't. Tyreek McGee, those kind of guys just wouldn't see the field. And it's not to say they weren't good. We were really good on defense in 2017. We weren't like historically, generationally good on defense like we are right now. So defensively, no contest. Now, offensively, though, the more I think about this, I've been thinking about this the past week or so, I think we actually were more equipped to run that style of offense in 2017 than we are right now. Our offensive line, I do think, was better in 2017 than what it is right now, especially with Tate Rattledge going out and being lost the first week of the season because I was told coming to the year that he was our best offensive lineman. He's out of the equation right now. He won't be back until next year. But if you look at that 2017 team, we had two tackles that were first-round draft picks. You had, obviously, Andrew Thomas was was a freshman, but he ends up becoming a first-round draft pick, a top-five draft pick. 
And then Isaiah Wynn ends up being a late first-round draft pick himself with the New England Patriots. So we had two first-round players there. Lamont Gellier was never like a dominant center, but he was a veteran guy who played a lot of football and was very good for us in 2017. SVP is a really talented player, but he's not playing and producing the level right now that Gellier was for us in 2017. He just simply isn't playing at that level right now. And Warren Erickson's a guy who's playing hard for us and doing some good things. He's getting better, but he still doesn't have the beef. He still doesn't give us the movement up front that a guy like Ben Cleveland towards the end of the season was able to give us on the interior of that offensive line. I just think that we were better on the offensive line in 2017. I don't think it's like honestly all that close. And then the running backs, yes, we have really good running backs right now. Zeus is great. James Cook is great. McIntosh, Milton, they're all really good. But none of those guys are Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. We were just better at running back. We had more game changers at running back than we do right now. And you also throw in DeAndre Swift as well. I mean, we were just better at running back. And a receiver, I think if everybody was fully healthy right now, you could make the argument that we were better receiver. I think we're deeper at receiver. But look at the, that top three back in 2017. You got Javon Wims, Terry Godwin, Miko Hardman. Javon Wims, I think, got cut by the Bears this year. I think he's on a practice squad right now, but he played a couple years in the NFL. Miko Hardman's still playing with the Chiefs. Godwin was a really good college player for us. Never a dominant receiver, but a good player for us. And those guys were upperclassmen that year, right? They'd been around for a while. They were able to make plays for us. Right now, we're going with Lad McConkey. He's a redshirt freshman, really seeing his first action of his career this year. You got A.D. Mitchell as a true freshman. They've been playing the majority of the snaps the past couple weeks. You got Jermaine Burton when he's healthy, that he is a, a, a sophomore that's a highly talented player and is going to be very good for us, but he hasn't been able to stay really healthy all year going back to the spring. Arian Smith has the ability to give us a lot of what Miko gave us. He's faster than Miko, but he's also another guy that just can't stay healthy, just cannot get on the field. So right now, based on what we had the past couple weeks, as good as Ladd has been for us, as, as impressive as A.D. Mitchell has been as a true freshman, they just haven't played at the level of those guys back in 2017. Now, tight end is a no contest. We are so much better at tight end than we were back in 2017. I don't mean that as a knock on Nada. Nada was a good player, but come on. He's not Brock Powers. He's not Darnell Washington, right? So I think there's some areas we're better this year. Quarterbacks, another one, if we're healthy, JT's better than Jake Fromm. JT's not healthy right now. Stetson Ben, I think, is comparable to Jake Fromm. Now, I think Stetson Ben, you might be able to say he is ahead of where Jake was when Jake was a true freshman. So maybe we're a little bit better even with Stetson Ben at quarterback plus. He gives us some mobility with his legs. Maybe we're a little bit better there. But offensive line, running back, receiver, I think we were better in 2017 and just more equipped to run the style of offense that we're week by week, more and more kind of transforming into. But if those teams lined up and played next week, God, that'd be so much fun to see that game. I would probably go, I'd go with the 2021 team. I think, again, we just have more overall talent. I think we have more depth. We're able to withstand some of those losses. Even offense, we're able to withstand some of those those losses right now. And I, as good as, as Nick and Sony were, I just don't know if that offense with the true freshman Jake Fromm would be able to score very much against our 2021 defense. Because again, what would that 2017 offense be able to do? They want, they want to run the football. That's what they did. Is that going to happen? Is that going to go so well against this defensive front, against this 2021 defense? I just, I don't think so. I just don't think so. So I think it'd be a good game. I think it'd be a, a relatively close game. Heck, our 2017 team might give our 2021 team a better game than any other team could this year in 2021. I think that's certainly an argument you could make. But I think I would take the 2021 team. That's a really fun question. I'd love to hear what you guys think too. Hit us up on Twitter at Gloria underscore UGA. I'd love to hear where your minds are on that question. 
But all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. I made it through. I feel like my voice is getting stronger as I talk more throughout the episode. Uh, but hopefully later on in the week when we get back, uh, the voice will be a lot better and you won't have to kind of suffer through this raspy, whatever you want to call this. But thank you guys for, for sticking it out with us. We really appreciate that. I'll be back with our Missouri game preview later on this week. And then Charlie will be back to wrap things up with our picks of the week at the very end of the week. But thank you for listening. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>